Hey team of Eternal Optimists, it's Matt Rincon here. And before we launch into today's epic conversation, I've got a big announcement. Drum roll, please. My brand new book is coming out on March 8th. And perhaps even better news, you can get it for only 99 cents on Amazon that day. We don't run ads on the show. And if you ever want to give back and support the Eternal Optimist community, go to Amazon on March 8th and get the Kindle version for only 99 cents. Just search for the book title, The Eternal Optimist. It's never too late. And you can download it directly to your device. Now, let's get to the show. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the Eternal Optimist podcast. I'm your host, Matt Drinkon, and today we have a special treat in store. Our first guest episode is going to highlight a gentleman who has been instrumental in helping inspire me and helping to guide my professional life. His name is Mr. John Berghoff. He's very well known in a number of different circles, including the Vector Cutco community, where he first started a career in sales back when he was a teenager. And he was one of the all-time leaders in Cutco Cutlery Vector Marketing and Sales and is still to this day spoken of in the highest reverence in that circle. Another place you may know John is from the organization Exchange, where he currently leads a large group of individuals and teams and coaches them and leads them in how to be the best facilitators of online and real-time face-to-face events in the entire world. He is a world-class facilitator, no doubt. He's spoken in front of thousands of people live. He's done it over Zoom. He's done it in person. He has completely shifted his business model during the pandemic and helped to serve hundreds and thousands of people in these last couple of years. You know, John is someone who is very humble. He may not say great things about himself. He doesn't need to. I'll do all of that for him because he's so amazing. He's going to share some stories today and, and spread some wisdom today that I'm sure you'll find interesting. There's one thing about John is that he has a tremendous sense of humor. We'll see if we can get him to tell a couple of jokes or just use some of that sly humor. He's so good on the fly. I'll try to challenge him with some questions he's not expecting and see how he responds. He's an amazing human being. I've learned from John and how he coaches his kids in sports. I've learned from him in facilitating events. I've been inspired from him to start this podcast. John is just such an amazing human being. And that's why he is going to be our first guest on the Eternal Optimist podcast. So get your popcorn ready, sit back, get ready to hear some from the world-famous, world-renowned Mr. John Berghoff. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to the Eternal Optimist Podcast, the show for optimists by optimists. This is the show for people who see the good in the world and want to make a positive difference in the lives of their families and communities. Each week, you'll hear inspiring stories that will get you thinking bigger and playing more offense in life. With your host and high-performance coach, Matt Drinkon. And without any further ado, I'd like to welcome to the show... Uh, Mr. John Berghoff. John, welcome to the show, sir. Hey, Matt. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. It is a sincere pleasure to finally get some time face-to-face and talk to you about a question that's been on my mind for so many years. And there's no pressure here, John. This uh, will be the first episode of our podcast, so no pressure. (laughs) I've been meaning to ask you, I saw a picture of you some time ago. I believe it may have been a birth of a child. It was some meaningful time in your life. You had a t-shirt, a blue t-shirt, white Dunder Mifflin letters on it. 
And <laughs> I remember that picture because I have that same T-shirt and I wore uh, it to the birth of my second child. And yeah. I'm wondering just a, a little bit about that picture that I saw with you in the T-shirt. And if there's any, like The Office is, a, is an important show to you for some reason. <laughs> That's funny. I had no idea you've seen that. Uh, yeah, that was a photo of me holding my firstborn. I've got three kids. That was Ace. Well, 12 years ago. I'm sitting here to do the math. And yeah, around the time that he was born. And that was that photo was, I think it was maybe just six or seven days after he was born. And around the time he was born, I, I was deep into the office. So, there, and, and you know, it's funny. Gosh, I didn't realize this. Until right now, this is really funny. Ace, at the age of 12, this will immediately reveal either my qualities or lack of qualities as a parent. His favorite TV show is The Office. He's seen all nine whatever seasons, every episode, at least once. And he has this memory of every episode. That's really funny. I didn't connect that until just right now. Oh, that's kick-ass parenting in my book there. He knows the office. He, he's, he's already prepared for the business world. Every lesson you could possibly need to learn has, has been taught there. So that's great. Well, I feel, I feel better already. That's so great. Good. John, uh, you know, you're an incredible human being to me. I just want to give you that respect because you've helped me so much in my coaching practice by being the leader of the exchange organization, by teaching uh, world-class facilitation. You're a real pro. So I wanted to start with that. And you know, if people like look at you, Google you, they'll see you there. They'll see other things about you too. But what is it that people who really know you would would need to know if they really knew you? What would they know? Oh, goodness. Well, <laughs> I, I had an internal monologue while you were saying such nice things about me. That I, I found it comical that just moments ago, I was in the middle of apologizing so deeply to somebody on my team because I acted in a way about a week ago that was, you know, the opposite of who I want to be as a leader. So I figure I should counterbalance your extraordinary, generous compliments with my own recognition that I am definitely under construction myself. So your question, what would I want people to know? That I'm deeply curious about a lot of things. And I think curiosity itself is actually a solution to some of our biggest problems. And while, like you said, very kindly, Matt, I and the work I stand for has made its way seemingly around the globe and brought us into places that I, I, I'm actually, I, I can't say I never would have dreamed of because I did, but I, I never would have thought it would have come true in such a cool way. I'm also someone who, as long as I've been trying to learn and teach, I, I'm still learning more about myself every day and what it means to be a family man, uh, a father, a leader, a teacher. So I'm deeply curious. I'll start with that. Mm. Well, I don't know where this conversation is going to go. That, that makes two of us. I'd love to go to uh, a challenge. With whatever challenge you're willing to share, John, some challenge in your bringing, and that upbringing can be from childhood until right now, as we're all still just big kids growing up, some challenge that has happened in your life and, and how you've responded to that and how it's helped you to learn and, and overcome mm. something. Yeah. Wow. Well, let me, let me scan through the memory uh, bank of challenges. Why don't, why don't I just start in the present and then we'll go where, wherever that brings us. I, in the last two or three years of my life, have dealt with challenges that I... I 
was never expecting and in many ways thought I'll never deal with these types of challenges. And a lot of my challenges prior to the last couple of years, Matt, are, are, and I've had some serious challenges when I was in high school. It was a very difficult time for me and entrepreneurship was like a way out and we can talk about that. When I was in uh, middle school, I, I was the, I, I was involved in some situations that I guess today it would be called bullying. Back then it was just kids are assholes to each other. At least that's mm -hmm. what my experience was. And that, that really created some, some pain and, and a need for healing that I think I'm still learning how to navigate today. But I'm going to pick a present moment uh, set of challenges, which these last few years, and these are very, really personal. There's a lot of challenges at work, but I always go back home when I think about what matters most. I mean, Matt, in the last two years or three years, I guess, you know, on one hand, my wife Mara and I of 12 years chose to end that marriage. We chose to end a marriage and that's a big decision. It's a difficult decision. It's not one that for many of those years I ever thought was even an option. And that has brought with it tremendous struggle for me just in reevaluating who I am. And how I show up. And fortunately, our, our kids have navigated it in this inspiring, beautiful way. But I've come to realize that just how I navigate the inner voices of my own in the face of what by many dimensions can feel like a big mm -hmm. failure, that's been a big challenge. And I'll just compound that by sharing in this same window of time, right in the middle of kind of the, the, the more challenging aspects of of navigating that separation was uh, we had a family pet that was only a year old and our whole family witnessed that pet tragically being a, this puppy of ours being killed by an automobile literally in the street in front of our home and anyone who's ever lost a life uh, of a beloved pet i mean it's i actually still see today in my youngest kaizen he's seven i, I I believe I still see him trying to make sense of that moment. I was just on the phone with my dad this morning. You know, I've lost my mom in the last couple of years, which has been difficult because when I was a kid, my relationship with her was a really stressful relationship. And I haven't lost her physically, but mentally she's at the later stages of dementia. And to go from her diagnosis to three or four days ago on Mother's Day, FaceTiming with her and her looking at the screen and me not being able to see outwardly that she can see who I am, like who is this man on the other side of the screen. But I, I did feel there was a moment where I felt I saw something in her eyes that she could still recognize who I was. But, you know, that those are three different examples where I feel like something in my life has literally uh, died in the last number of years. And that's brought a whole lifetime a universe of learning just in a concentrated moment. So we'll start with that. I can't remember the original question, but you know, that's very present for me. Thank you for sharing these things, John. And that must be challenging. So uh, respect to you for sharing that. I'd love to ask, as you're undergoing or enduring these, these present challenges, I mean, how might your narrative be coming together to support yourself or to tear down yourself or just what's the inner narrative that mm. keeps you going with all this potential pain it's right on us right now yeah well i i deeply honor your your choice of question here uh, about inner narrative because i think 
that that is the answer to for me the biggest question is you know what matters most right now and part of it is recognizing that i have inside of my own mind my own story about my life my past my present maybe where the future is going and being able to strengthen the capacity in my mind and i would say in my heart to catch myself when i'm unconscious of that inner dialogue has been such an important part of my journey to build the the capacities to be able to to go from kind of a sleep you know in those moments where i might not even realize that i'm i'm having an inner conversation where i'm entirely viewing myself as a victim i mean i don't even realize it but i'm i'm unconsciously asking some question or having a conversation in response to an unconscious question like why me or how bad is this going to get or how did i get myself into this and to your point realizing that i can't actually choose a different question there i could i could flip that from why me to well how is this happening for me and and that's been a gift in all of this it's probably been a through line for 20 plus years that i do believe personally that everything that happens in my life is is a part of what i think of as my own evolutionary purpose i believe in some mysterious spirit i would never claim i can fully explain it all and you know some might hear me say that and have a a faith perspective or a reframing of what i just said some might call it the the way the world works the universe the cosmos call it what we want i do believe that in some way everything is happening for me there's some divine guidance and even just that simple reminder can help me at least in the toughest moments get to neutral. <clears throat> For me Matt a big learning mm. has been remembering how powerful neutral can be. Mm. Especially if I get stuck in a really low point and dwelling in despair. So those are some of the things that have come, you know, from these challenges for me. You mentioned how is this happening for me? And that's a far leap from the victim mentality of how is this happening to me? Why is this happening to me? It sounds like your emotional intelligence at some point through the experience, uh, and many of us can probably relate to the experience of bullying back in middle school or high school. At some point, you may have gone on this emotional intelligence journey from to me at stage one up to now it's happening for me or through me at a higher level. And I wonder if you can kind of help us understand at what point, if there was a point, did you make that shift from this is happening to me and being a victim to now, the way I would frame it is you're playing, uh, you're playing an offense for your greater evolutionary purpose, mm. empowering things to happen for you. So can you take us back to that moment or through that journey of to me to for me? Yeah, well, it's it's a path, and I don't believe I'm there, and I don't believe I'll ever be at the end of the path. So I'll take your question and say, there's not some destination. I don't think there's, a, for me at least, mm -hmm. there's not a box that I have figured out how to check where I now have flipped that switch. I I, I think every every single day I still have a balance between these two competing voices. If we're to simplify it into two. I don't know if some of us listening might realize there's more than two. But I think what it is, is it's a willingness to have the courage and the presence and the discipline to, to, to pause and to listen to which voices are controlling us and try and shift the mixture at least to how do I find a little bit more uh, space and create more moments where it's a little more empowering. And it's not easy because there's times, Matt, where there's one part of me that says, you know, I stand for taking responsibility 
for my life. And I do, right? I have a saying, we have a saying on our team at Exchange that's, uh, if, if I'm not the problem, there is no solution, right? And that's, that's a confronting, like, sharp poke, isn't it? Wow. Right? I could see you react to that. Like, if I'm not the problem, there's no solution. So on one hand, that's both empowering, but it's also yeah, awakening, right? And one of, the, one of the things I've learned through just effort and teachers and mentors is helping me to realize that I can both choose to look in the mirror and take ownership and I need to simultaneously have compassion, not just for other people, but for myself. Because it can be really easy to, t- to let that responsibility convert into self-judgment, self-criticism. And that's when responsibility goes from healthy to toxic, where it goes from reasonable to disempowering, disabling. So I think part of the journey that I'm on today, this is no arrival that I see, hopefully I can improve a little bit every day, is how can I both take ownership and strengthen that place in my heart? You know, I talked about all these losses, Matt. Mm-hmm. One of my teachers, Meg Wheatley, she taught me a few years ago that a broken heart also can be a symbol of an open heart. And that the, the same place within us where we feel pain and despair is also a place from which we can, we can now more powerfully feel compassion and show up with kindness for others and for ourselves. And, you know, someone could be listening thinking, ah, oh, that's too simple. That's too obvious. There's got to be more to it than kindness. I don't know. Maybe there is, but I think I also keep finding that as sophisticated and as fancy as the answers we can make them around what does it mean to lead or unlock or teach others how to do that, there is this timeless truth that I keep falling back to, which is the importance to now more than ever before, both for myself and I feel I see it in the world through the work we do, to have a compassionate latitude, a a willingness to give people forgiveness and generosity and understanding and to give that to ourselves as well. I feel, in hearing your response there, I feel we heard a real optimist come out there. Uh, You took the broken heart and where there's the break, there's also the openness. Where there's the challenge, there's also the opportunity. Where there's what some could say is a negative, there's also great potential for for positive. And that's what our podcast is all about. It's, it's that hope that you can do it too, that whatever is happening can be serving us in some way. I wonder, you know, kind of moving towards, you've shared some challenges with us. I'd love to go back to one challenge I think many of us uh, have had. Uh, you had a challenging time and I think you said it was the high school years mm-hmm. and you found entrepreneurship maybe as a way out. A lot of people probably have thoughts around the way out. And, you know, I wonder how, what happened to you in high school years or what happened for you in high school years, however you frame it, has mm-hmm. served you now mm. and what you're grateful for about that now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think there was a, there was a moment for me where, where by any measurement of well-being or health, across all those measurements, I was as low as I could imagine being. And so I, I had a lot of ways out that were unhealthy. And my senior year of high school, I remember I went months. I didn't even take my backpack home. I, I, I don't know how I graduated. And I was, I was denied from every college I applied to, which where I grew up and where I went to school, that was not the norm. And what was fortunate for me was... 
there was this crack. There was this crack in reality. There was this glimpse of, of a light shining through a crack. And I was given this invitation to consider an entrepreneurial opportunity, one you and I both are familiar with, which was the chance to sell Cutco knives. Mm. And at this world. Yeah, exactly. But and and the best life learning opportunity in the world for any young person, in my opinion. And there I was, 17, uh, between my junior senior year. And I thought, it can't get any worse. Why don't I try something as stupid as selling knives? Hmm. And um, what happened for me, and, and I'll take some credit. I, there was some part of me that was willing, that found the courage to, to do something to change my situation. It took me a long time to be able to claim some credit. I got to take some credit for the courage to step into something as obscure as selling knives. And I'll also give credit to not only the company, Vector, that created the conditions for somebody like me to go from a low point to a high point. You know my story. I was the top brand new rep out of thousands in the whole company that year. And the next year, I was the number one rep in the whole company. And I went on to have a, a great career there as a young person. But the transition from a dark moment to this bright career, I was given a gift of a culture and a group of leaders who were my managers at that time who created an environment where I was accepted. I could be who I was and fit in. To this day, 22, I don't know how many years later, I, I believe that's one of the most important questions that all of us need to remember that everybody's asking some version of that whenever they step into a room. Can I be who I am and fit in? Today we call that belonging. And when people can feel a sense of belonging, it allows them to feel safe enough to actually discover strengths and capabilities. And you know, we both have to take responsibility to find and create that safety and belonging in ourselves. But when others do it for us, that's a gift. And so that was something that happened for me through a, a culture and mentors who, the other thing they did, Matt, I'll always remember my first manager, Dan Cassetta, who you and I both are colleagues with even to today. Dan believed in me way more than I knew how to believe in myself. And, you know, 20 some years later, you know, next week I'm going to go to Google and teach their senior leaders our version of leadership. And it's so funny because <laughs> I get brought in to these extraordinary places on almost every continent. And you're one of 10,000 people who our team has had the privilege to teach what we teach just during the pandemic. And yet it's these lessons that go back 23 years that are still the most important that uh, we have to, as leaders, whoever wants to claim that, that name or that role be able and willing to believe in the best in others, even before they do. So that, that was a gift that was given to me at a very young age. I, well, I just draw the bridge there that you had the courage to step in. You were in a very dark place and you took some credit for having that courage to step in and that led to the light. And I think that's one thing that many of us, when mm. we're in a tough place, maybe one of the worst things that we could do is absolutely nothing. And maybe sometimes patience and waiting is the best thing. I, th I think that sometimes I see people that become depressed and it's because they're they're not taking an action or they're wallowing in, in some type of self-pain, pity, something. And just to see you have that courage to take action. And as a result of that, the chain reaction that had a sense happened now puts you in a place where, as you said, you're teaching people at Google next week who we know that they're impacting the world because everyone that's going to listen to this has heard of and uses Google every day. Yeah. You know? And yeah. therefore you are impacting people that are 
out there being being used or being leveraged or teaching us every day. So your impact is tremendous in one way that it may have begun is back from that dark moment. I hope someone can take some hope or inspiration from that because they mm. can do it too. Can I share something that you just inspired, Matt? Absolutely. So uh, another lesson I learned early on, and I find it enjoyable when I can see that some of these very early lessons are are revealing themselves so many years later. I'll always remember one of the first sales conferences I was at, and there was a presenter on the stage, and he was giving this motivational speech. And he said something that I, I literally remember what it looked like in my notebook when I wrote down what he said. He said, if we want to figure out how to do something we've never done, we have to have reasons that motivate us. And he said, these reasons are what we sometimes would call a sense of purpose, or you could even call it an answer to the question, why does all this matter? And then he said this, and his name was Mark Lovis. And Mark said, when the why is strong enough, right? In other words, when these reasons when we're clear on what's our source of motivation. And he said, when the why is strong enough, the how will reveal itself. Now, I want to connect a dot 20-some years later. A few years ago when the pandemic got here, you know, our company at Exchange, pre-pandemic, our business was teaching coaches, consultants, leaders, facilitators, how to design and facilitate different types of group experiences to unlock the potential in those groups. And that could mean different things in learning communities, conferences, teams that are trying to solve a problem or create a different future. And it, we did all of that in a physical room. And the pandemic got here and it was like, okay, we may or may not have a business anymore. Hmm. And fortunately, somebody on our team, Matt, said, well, let's, let's take a little bit of our own medicine. And before we ask, how are we going to figure this out? Let's ask this question. Why does the world need us to figure it out? And as a team, we huddled on Zoom and we all looked at each other and we shared stories, stories of the past, of an impact that our work had made and stories of the future that we were imagining that if we follow through, if we find a way, here's what that could mean. But it's all a connection to that original lesson that we found a connection to a sense of purpose. Two years later, our company has tripled in number of employees and number of customers and revenue and all these other things. But I don't know that we would have found a way if we didn't have that purpose. But by the way, I'll tell you an example of one of our close partners is an organization called Women Presidents Organization. And they found us at the beginning of the pandemic. I, I think they only found us because of the pandemic. They mm -hmm. heard that we figured out really quickly how to teach teachers how to lead groups online. And so they asked us to facilitate some convenings with their what are called their chapter chairs. They had about 100 chapter chairs that led all of their chapters into these are all groups of women CEOs and presidents from all around the world. And I will tell you that they came to us and they said, John, you know, kind of like you, we've been around for a long time. They had already been around for 20 years. They said, we've been hosting chapter gatherings for maybe decades. And they said, but essentially none of them have ever been done on Zoom. So just like us, I think they may have been wondering, are we going to survive? And Matt, I'll tell you, I, I brought together their chapter chairs. And before we trained them on anything, I gave them the same question. I said, I want all of you to think about why does the world need you to figure this out? And they connected to that sense of purpose two years later. They, they not only didn't lose any net members, but the level of engagement in their membership is beyond what it's ever been. They're an example of an organization that found an innovation and a creativity within because they also had such a deep purpose in helping these women leaders. And I'll, I'll 
I'll conclude, I'll land this plane <laughs> by saying, I got a meeting in one hour when you and I are done here. And it, we're meeting with uh, a team for the conscious capitalism organization, or some would call it a movement. Mm-hmm. And it's a movement that's based on a premise, at least in my words, that, that business is a force for good in this world. And that business, there's a heroic opportunity for business to be uh, a source of well-being and elevation of of human strengths and in service to what our planet and what people need the most. And this movement is built around this idea that when teams and organizations are connected to a higher purpose, a whole bunch of other positive things come true at every scale. And, and I get to witness, we're helping them design what's called their Conscious Capitalism CEO Summit, which is happening later this year. And I get to witness the evidence of this simple idea that I was taught 20 years ago, which today it might be the idea of our generation in business that the degree to which we can all see that we can and maybe even need to be here in service of a higher and higher purpose, the world needs that of us right now. So thanks for letting me share these different stories, Matt, because you asked about what happened for me in these in this really difficult moment. Mm-hmm. And I can't help but in presence of this chit-chat, realize how many lessons... 20 plus years ago, I'm still seeing uh, play out to be true today. That was amazing, John. And I want to tie two, two pieces of the puzzle here together. Number one is that I too have an affinity for Mark Lovis and his speaking because I learned some great things at a couple conferences from him. And one of those uh, was a speech he gave called The Skillful Art of Promotion. And that was around mm. what is it that you are, are constantly promoting to the people that are around you in your organization? And what is it you're talking about the most? Whatever yeah. uh, is around you, whatever you're seeing, whatever you're talking about, that tends to gain uh, a hold in people's minds. So I, I also learned a lot from Mark Lovis. Today's episode is sponsored by positive attitude. It's the thing you want with you everywhere you go. It can be your greatest asset, your greatest friend. You may not get a lot of compliments on it. It can be the unsung hero. In fact, the opposite, a bad attitude can bring you down. A bad attitude can drive the right people away from you. A bad attitude can bring other miserable people towards you. A positive attitude is a great way to start and live your life every single day. Positive attitude, sponsor of the Eternal Optimist podcast. With deep curiosity then, so what is something that you might be deeply curious about today as it relates to yourself? Yeah, well, thank you for that. I would say what's really present for me is my role as a father and I'm very active and I, I feel really good about the quality time that I get with my children. I coach my eight-year-old son's baseball team and here in Ohio, it's the travel team in our town and it's, it's a big responsibility. It's a big privilege to be the coach and we've got a big game tonight. Mm. So moments before you and I were on, right before I was apologizing to someone on my team, I was actually working on the lineup for the game. And then I was also setting some intentions for the game. So that's my genuine response. (laughs) Like in the moment, I was just thinking about how I'm going to show up as a coach. And yeah, I've I've learned just as much being uh, a youth sports coach about 
leadership is I feel like I'm out there teaching in the world every day. And so at this very moment, that's very much on my mind. Well, that can go down a a big rabbit hole for me. I think about things (laughs) that uh, I've overcome or or challenges or fears or anxieties. And and it, it doesn't so much happen when I'm speaking on a stage or giving a sales pitch or none of those things have, they don't even register on on the uh, the scale of feeling any fear or any nerves really i'm excited for those things when i think about fear or nerves that mm. first day that i had to coach my five-year-old soccer team that first game <laughs> and then the first practice of my six-year-olds and all this has been the last two months john i oh. felt real nerves and anxiety the first time and i wonder yeah. if you could trace me back to when you first started coaching your son in his very first league, first game. How did that feel? Oh my goodness. It's so funny that you asked that. So I now, and I don't know exactly, but I'm going to try and do a quick estimate. Across my three kids, multiple sports, multiple seasons, I've probably coached somewhere between maybe 15 and 20 sports seasons. You know, you can coach three seasons in a year with a kid or even more than that. And I've witnessed even more than that, where I wasn't the coach, just observing and enjoying. What's interesting is if I go back to my very first, it was first grade flag football. Hmm. And in first grade for flag football, I think the parents were as curious about how things were going to go as I was and as the kids were. And I, I feel that way because I remember them standing on the sideline at the first practice. And if anyone's not familiar with what it's like to try and coach first graders flag football, I realized they were going to spend the first two weeks of practice amused by and entertained by their mouth guards and just chew them so much so that they that dealing with them chewing on their mouth guards actually became the primary focus. But I'll always remember that practice because it, I remember vividly, Matt, realizing I'd already watched the, the same older son, Ace at that time, be coached by some other coaches. And I realized I needed to decide really quickly who I was going to be as a coach. Because just like in business and in life, we can choose, you know, what kind of voice do we want to have? What do we want to model? How do we respond to mistakes? How do we find coaching moments? And so I'll always remember I had this one voice that was so distracted by what are the parents going to think of me because I can't even get these kids to stand still. But then it got real and I realized I got to decide who I am, what I'm standing for, what I stand against as a coach. And If I can, I'll fast forward that to years later, many seasons later to like this game tonight, what I was just thinking about. And what's interesting is I've I've had these kind of full circle, my own hero's journey discoveries around coaching and leadership. And today, this team that I'm coaching, we're having a really good season. And I I feel honored that the, the boys are having a great time. The parents are, they seem to be really happy with how it's going. We happen to be winning, which is not the most important thing at this age. But one of the things I'm most proud of about what I've learned about coaching, Matt, is that at this this tender age of eight, where these boys are finding a competitive spirit, but they're still also eight, Hmm. I'm realizing that the thing that matters most is who I'm being and how that affects the nervous system of these boys during the games. And I see other coaches who, and I don't have it all figured out, but I've spent enough years trying to figure it out that I can see that in real time, what these boys need is they need a presence from me 
that helps them to navigate their own nerves in the midst of some challenges that are beyond what many of them have ever faced. Mm. And it's a joy. I'll give you an example. You know, when one of our pitchers starts to struggle, and if anyone follows baseball, you know, at eight years old, if the boy stops throwing strikes, starts throwing balls, you're in trouble real quickly. And I have a routine where I'll run out to the mound, I'll call timeout. And I I see many coaches, they try and coach the kids. They try and change or start or break habits in the middle of a game. I've come to realize that's not the time to start or change or break habits. Mm. I walk out to the mound and I, this is kind of one of my secrets. I don't necessarily want all the parents to know this, but I have built a reputation of walking out to that mound, saying something to the boys, walking back and things turn around. Well, I, I will reveal that I never coach them. I never say, step here, draw your arm back here, you're out of balance, even though those are all the things that we can see. Almost every single time, Matt, I walk up and I say, hey, Maddie, let me ask you a question. Is this pretty cool that we're playing baseball right now? And little Maddie you know, goes, oh, coach isn't upset with me. Uh, yeah, it is cool. And then I say, hey, Maddie, one more thing. Can I just tell you something? You look like a baseball player right now. Do you feel like one? You do? All right, have some fun, buddy. Let's get this going. And I run back and like 90% of the time they start throwing strikes. Wow, nuggets of wisdom. That's amazing. What I've learned is in these moments of stress, and this is true at eight, I think it's true for me at 40, figuring out how to resource ourselves so that we can tap back into whatever our training has prepared us for is something that matters. So you asked, you asked me about my first moments coaching and I went all over the place. So, Well, I've, I'm prepared for that. I've... I've become a fan of the way that you can take one question and explore and expand. And before you know it, we are in a different uh, universe. So I appreciate that. I want to go back to what happened to your company for your company when the pandemic started. You Mm. had this challenge of, I teach, (laughs) we teach organizations how to facilitate in-person events, in-person facilitation. And literally, this is a crossroads. Many people go straight to, what do we do? Someone on your team said, why is it important? Can you go a little bit deeper into that exact moment? Why it's important to go with why instead of what to do? Yeah. So one of the things that we've learned about navigating moments of stress or adversity is that there's a biology and a chemistry that actually causes us to want to quickly take action purely out of the need to survive. So when you ask, you know, what did we do as a team and why did we ask certain questions? Well, we were, we were trying to consume our own medicine, so to speak, and live what we teach, which isn't always easy. Mm-hmm. And, and what we've taught for years was, hey, in these moments of stress, while it's tempting to say, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? And of course, granted, there's some understandable firefighting maybe in any business that has to happen, but we need to quickly get back to asking questions around not just what are we going to do and how are we going to get ourselves out of this and how are we going to create some new way to create value for our customers is the first set of questions are what we call, Matt, questions that allow us to connect to our most powerful identity. In other words, who do we need to be? And actually, this purpose question that we talked about earlier, like, why does the world need us to figure this out? We often think of that as the first question to ask that falls into a bucket of questions that are all a part of our identity, right? 
So I'll give you an example of what was the next question that we asked at the beginning of the pandemic after we said, okay, we really feel a deep sense of meaning around finding a way through this. We still don't know how. Now we asked, well, who do we need to be? And actually we had a, we have a mentor and he's a very good personal friend and uh, someone I respect deeply, Christopher Lockhead. Uh, he's the host of the uh, Follow Your Different podcast, also Lockhead on Marketing, and he's published a zillion best-selling books. And Christopher, at the time, I was asking him for advice. He's been involved in many businesses that have needed to navigate just unprecedented, unforeseen adversities. And he gave me a really interesting question. He said, John, if you were legendary and you were you, what would you do right now? <laughs> hmm. And... And what's interesting is I brought that question to our team and they said, well, let's actually convert that question to who would we be? And here's the answers that came up is we realized if we're going to reinvent ourselves, if we're going to find a way to take a business that has never lived online and do it all through Zoom, who do we need to be? Well, let's start with who do we need to be just for ourselves, for each other on our team, let alone who we need to be for our customers. And we realized we need to be compassionate because we're all stressed out right now because none of us have ever lived through a pandemic. And let's not forget that we're all maybe silently wondering, is the world ending, right? So like, let's actually just remember to be compassionate with each other. Let's remember to, to treat each other with a certain amount of dignity because all of the sudden we're all homeschooling. Remember the March, 2020, when oh, like yeah. the whole world was trying to solve some things that none of us had faced. We're locked down and who knows? And then it gets politicized. And so compassion and respect and dignity for each other. But also we were asking, who do we need to be as a team so that we can really serve our customers? And we realized, well, we need to be creative. We need to be compassionate for them. We need to be flexible in how we help them. So flexible that when our why is strong enough, maybe we let go of how we used to do it and we get completely open to a new way of how we're going to help our customers. We had to be open to that. And so Matt, your original question was, hey, how did you at Exchange have this breakthrough during the pandemic when not every business like ours did? And I feel like it's been a blessing. It's a privilege that we did. A lot of it is because we had already done a lot of work trying to figure out how does a group, a team, an organization, or a person navigate a, a challenge like they've never navigated? And these types of questions are really significant. And it led to us creating new ways of creating value and then realizing, wow, it even opens up new possibilities for how we market ourselves. And the three years prior to the pandemic, we had trained 200 or 250 professional leaders, coaches, consultants. Mm -hmm. Since the pandemic, we've trained over 10,000 because doing it online has revealed the opportunity to do that at very mm. little cost. And we've had over 1,500 folks like yourself go through our multi-day immersion trainings. And at the end of the day, it's been a, it's been a gift. Which is fantastic, by the way. Your uh, OXE, is that online exchange experience Training That's right. is world-class, phenomenal. Well, I've been you. through two of them. And I don't want to make this about a, a commercial for exchange. And maybe I kind of do because I love it so much. Can you tell us a little bit about your program with exchange and where you see this as leading the world or as a light in the world? Just help us help us create an exciting future, please. Yeah, well, I'm happy to. And if I can make this of use to a listener, that, that, that would make me happiest. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that we 
we felt before the pandemic here at Exchange, and this goes back to when I was an executive for the Vitamix Corporation. Uh, Vitamix makes these beautiful high-end blenders. I was wondering if you would throw a Vitamix reference in here, because I think I've heard you talk about Vitamix in nearly every conversation ever. You must uh, love your Vitamix. I do love my Vitamix. I do love my Vitamix. It's the Cutco of blenders, if that's fair. Uh, Yeah, I I was given a a wonderful opportunity by uh, Jody Berg, who recently retired, but she was for many years the CEO. She was the great-granddaughter of the founder of Vitamix. Vitamix is a 100-year-old, fourth-generation family-owned company, which is its own fantastic story. But, but Jody gave me a chance to be their head of sales for their, their direct sales team. And that was a big responsibility. And, and while I was in that role for about a five-year window, I was given this opportunity to try and navigate challenges for which I didn't have any of the answers. And what happened during that time is I realized and Jody encouraged me to lean in to this idea that leadership is not what everybody says. That leadership is not about knowing what to do, telling everybody else what to do and controlling how people behave. And in some settings, and you could argue at a certain time in history, that's exactly what leading and managing is or was. But Jody was really a, a visionary in this way. And she, she said, John, consider that maybe leadership isn't about a few of us having the answers, but maybe it's about figuring out how do we design and facilitate conversations that unlock solutions and possibilities and heads and hearts and strengths from as many people as possible. And she introduced me to some different philosophies that we got to experiment with. And during that time, Matt, the team I was overseeing, we were fortunate. We grew from 175 to 600 people and revenues grew from 40 to almost 200 million in that time frame. And, and then Jody, she kind of blessed me leaving the company. Cause I said, Jody, I, I want to go see how to take what you gave me the gift to learn here and see if I can help others to bring this to as many companies as possible. And that's when exchange was founded. And so our core business today is teaching coaches and consultants and leaders how to design and facilitate different types of group conversations, which always are preceded by the questions that we ask, so that people can learn faster, collaborate in healthier ways. We can create a spirit of community through these gatherings and also solve real serious hard business challenges at the same time. And so you came through our flagship training that we do four times a year. And and, and we love the work that we do mostly, Matt, because of who it attracts. You know, it, it brought you to, to us and you and I to get to know each other and just the caliber of people we've gotten to meet by doing all this through Zoom has been, it's been wild. And I'm incredibly grateful for that. Thank you for, for breaking down a little bit about what you do and why it's important. And I'd, I'd love to look ahead in the future a little bit, if we may, and see, and we, it's sure. impossible to predict the future. Let's say that things go in a direction that might inspire you, John. Where might exchange be going in the next one, two, three years? Well, that's a, that's a question that I and our team enjoy pondering. And if there's one thing that the pandemic has taught us, it's not to hold on too tightly to whatever answers arrive, but to, mm. to celebrate how many different possibilities could come true. I think at the center of what my highest hopes are for the future, whether or not exchange is even a part of the picture is almost not even in my psyche. My highest hope, Matt, is that there's a point in the future where anybody who leads, teaches, and convenes, who has the privilege 
to gather a group of people. And if you stop and think about what I just said, think about what percentage of the working world, especially in the Western world and knowledge-based businesses, think about what percentage of time we spend in meetings of different sizes with small groups, medium-sized groups. You think about the whole conference industry, how many of us invest time and resources into coming together in associations or learning communities or mastermind groups. You think about all the places where we're bringing together teams, learners, who have either a shared identity, a shared interest. It's what feels to me like an almost infinite opportunity. So when you ask me what gets me excited, if exchange is a part of this, that's great. What I, what I want to see is a future where everybody who has the privilege to convene a group of people, that they realize that there is a collective intelligence that's actually available in that group. And that they also have discovered that it's not only how we professionally facilitate so that we can tap into that intelligence, but it's it's how we design what's going to happen even before that group shows up. And my hope is that we can move away from what we at Exchange call really an unconscious approach to how we design group gatherings, which is often not recognizing that there's wisdom in the room, that a group of people is a symphony of strengths. And instead of thinking, well, I'm in charge and a few of us have the answers or I need to be a sage on the stage, like I'd love to see a future where leadership is idolized not because of people who know, but because of people who who ask questions and they invite others into those conversations where, where we really revere and respect instead of that sage on the stage, the guide on the side. Because I think that's what it's going to take to unlock that collective capacity, intelligence, wisdom that uh, measurably, there's research that has shown this. And you might have listeners who've felt it and seen it and heard it when a group somehow create something beyond the sum of its parts, that's possible. But unfortunately, it's not what we often tap into. So I want to see a future where everyone who has the privilege, the influence over every group gathering is asking, how do we unlock collective capability? That would make me really happy. If they're using the exchange approach because we are the way to do it, great. If there's some other way to do it, that's fine. What we're in service of is tapping into that potential at scale. Amazing. Thank you, John, for that answer. It's such a humble response too. you didn't make it all about you. You made it all about us, all of us. I just love the way you did that. And I learned from you something a long time ago. I listened to you on a podcast with Hal a long time ago when you, he asked you a question. He said, Hey, John, can you uh, give us a piece of advice? And your response was, well, hey, let's just go ahead and fire another 30 minutes or 45 minutes. Uh, he actually gave you a, a time frame. So I'm going to ask you to offer a piece <laughs> of advice here as we conclude. And if you're listening or if you if you pay attention, John, then let's try to keep it to uh, one, two, 10 minutes. Just let's, let's, <laughs> let's keep some end to it. And I'll cut in if we need to. But let's think about what's a piece of advice you might offer someone who is undergoing uh, a challenge right now, and they're in a dark place, what advice might you be able to offer them, John? Well, let's play a game here. What, why don't you require me to answer it in as few words as possible? <laughs> okay. And then we can expand it only at whatever scale you want. I'll, I'll start the game off. Listen. Listen. And if you gave me three more words, it would be listen to your heart. And if you gave me a couple sentences, it would be listen to that place within you that that has a deeper knowing 
And if you gave me one more sentence, I would say, go put your feet in the grass, get out in the middle of nature, disconnect from technology, even just for a moment to connect to a natural technology that has been around for a long time, might have some answers, but it all goes back to um, be willing to listen. Mm. Thank you, John. It's been insightful. Um, I love you, man. You've been just so amazing to learn from and just to hear your message today. (laughs) I love you, Matt. Thank you, buddy. Uh, Amazing. How can our listeners find out more about what you're up to and and connect with you and and learn more about Exchange and John Burgoff? Yeah, well, thanks for asking because our marketing team would uh, berate me. They wouldn't do that, but they, they'd be so they'd be so disappointed if I got this far and didn't tell people how to find us. So thanks for asking. Um, there's a URL where there's some videos of me just uh, goofing around, drawing some pictures, talking about our work. You don't even have to opt in. That's we just give these away, and the URL is X change the letter X the word change approach X changeapproach.com forward slash unlock potential. And if anybody checks out that page, what should be there, things always change, but there should also be an opportunity. If somebody wants to meet me live on a live Zoom workshop, every once in a while, uh, maybe every month or two, I host as a kind of a give back to the public, a free, no cost, experiential introduction to what we do. And I'd love if anyone's listening to this, they've listened this far, I guess you're, I guess you're my kind of people and come to the workshop, come to the next one we put on and, or you can always reach out to our team if you want to learn about our immersion trainings, but xchangeapproach.com forward slash unlock potential. There's some videos you can watch, or you could sign up to come to one of our no cost live workshops that I host myself. So thanks, Matt. Fantastic. Thank you, John. It's been a pleasure and honor. I look forward to seeing you out there in the next exchange event. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for listening to the Eternal Optimist podcast. You can check the show notes for information about today's episode. And please share the show with that friend who is wanting to think bigger. We'll see you next time.